Hello and welcome to the Boiler Upload Podcast. I'm your host, Mike DeFabo. On today's show, we're going to break down Purdue's 89-54 victory over Rutgers. To do so, we're going to welcome on Brian Newbert from Golden Black Illustrated. Uh, he's going to tell us what's gone so well for the Boilermakers over their recent run where they've won five of their last six. We're also going to talk a lot about Travion Williams and his emergence and what else we're seeing from that offense. Also on today's show, we've got a great interview with Sasha Stefanovic. He's going to talk to us about his Serbian roots. Uh, and also, he's an in-state guy, so he'll talk to us about what I, uh, this IU-Purdue rivalry means to him. And finally, we're going to close the, the show this week with Stu Jackson, who covers the Hoosiers for thehoosier.com. He'll give us the full breakdown and scouting report of Indiana University. Uh, but before we kick into that first segment... A little personal news, this is actually going to be the final Boiler Upload podcast. Um, I'm going to be leaving the Purdue beat, leaving CNHI. I'm headed to the Lansing State Journal, um, where I'm going to be covering Michigan State, of course. But it's going to be a little bit of a different type of role. I'm excited about it. Uh, Rather than being on the beat and doing day-to-day stuff and be stuck in the grind of doing a lot of game stories and stuff like that, it's a different kind of job. It's a features and enterprise job. So I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to dive in and do stories about personalities and issues and profiles and spend some time digging into those deeper stories. So it's something I'm excited about. It's going to be tough to move off of the Purdue beat. I made a lot of friends here, and I appreciate all you guys for listening along the way. Um, but I want to give you one last great podcast before I go. So uh, let's kick it to that first interview right now with Brian Newbert. All right, we now welcome back to the show our favorite recurring guest. This is Brian Newbert from Golden Black Illustrated, sitting with me right here on Purdue's bench, fittingly, since it's where we kind of belong after Purdue's 89-54 to victory over Rutgers. Uh, this was, uh, there's a lot of words you can use to describe this. Uh, Purdue kind of boat raced Rutgers or routed them. First question for you is, what is your preferred term for a blowout? Do you have one? Well, I'm from New Jersey. Rutgers is from New Jersey, so I'm going to go with kneecapped. Oh, I like that. It just seems little, appropriate. It just seems to fit, doesn't it? It just seems perfect. Yeah, a little Sopranos reference yeah, maybe on the go. 20th anniversary of the Sopranos. Very yeah. good. All right, well, uh, a lot to talk about in this game, a lot of scoring, first of all. Uh, but let's start with Travion Williams. He's a guy who's really come along of late. You wrote a nice story, goldenblack.com, just talking about how he's improved his body. Um, you know, what has stood out, stood out to you about Travion? I mean, I asked Nathan Baird last week on the podcast about him uh, after he had scored nine points, uh, after he had his first career double-double at Michigan State. Since then, he had nine points, 11 rebounds against Wisconsin, and then a career-high 16 points and career-high 13 rebounds for his second career double-double against Rutgers. Yeah, a lot of stuff stands out about him. One, he produces against everybody he plays against. I mean, this isn't a freshman playing his first college games against Chicago State and Western Illinois. This is a guy who's been thrown into it just in time for your most difficult games of the season, your most physical games of the season. He's backed down from no one. He's produced against everyone he's played. He's played with a certain level-headedness about him. Where I'd I'd seen him play in AAU a bunch of times, and I knew he was a good passer. But he's just got a poise about him. He he just has an anticipation level, just a savvy about him that just really belies his age and position. He just seems like a really, really unique player in a really unique situation here. Just a freshman who just starts playing midseason. And not only is he playing, but he's getting the ball and he's 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 become a player-produced featuring. They're playing through him. And they have, I'm not saying they're not playing through Carson Edwards when he's in the game, but they have one of college basketball's elite scorers 
on the perimeter. And as soon as Trayvon Williams comes in, they're looking to get the ball inside. And that I can't think of a better compliment for the way uh, Trayvon Williams is both playing and conducting himself right now. So, so you mentioned that you had seen him play in AAU. Obviously, he's lost a tremendous amount of weight, 50 pounds, um, which I'm sure a lot of people who are trying to trim a couple pounds after the holiday season could, <laughs> could pick up some tips from him. But just how, how have you seen him from AAU to now? How is he a different player right now because of that weight loss? Well, he's just an entirely different body type. He, he was out of shape would be putting it nicely. Now, in his defense... Part of that, I, th- I think, had to do with he hurt his foot his junior year. I think that really set him back. And you probably pick up some bad habits. He recovered from the injury. Right. But when you're out and can't play, you probably pick up some bad habits. So I don't know if the fact he was so out of shape is necessarily an indictment of his character or anything like that as much as it was circumstance. But he, he was badly out of shape. And uh, I guess there's kind of a good part of that, too, to go along with the obvious fact that's not ideal is that when you're that out of shape weight can come off pretty quick I guess and it sure has but the really interesting part of it is not just that he's been able to lose this weight this quickly he's lost 50 pounds since June it's a lot of weight yeah that's like a child right um uh, it's late um but he's been able to play at a high level here while he's losing weight and I know I talked to the Purdue sports performance coach uh, the other day for that story you mentioned before and he's talking about how you worry about a guy going really hard in practice when they're not necessarily used to this level of competition when they're dropping weight every single day you want to to make sure he's not going to fall over right you know something like that so it's kind of a really unique circumstance where both him getting in shape and him performing like he's in shape are kind of dovetailing with one another right well, I have my own theory that uh, he's just playing hangry because whenever I don't eat for a while, I get, you know. <laughs> he's so, the Snickers commercial. Yeah, he's, he's the Snickers. Joe Pesci in the, in the Snickers commercial. Only his right. is, like, positive. He's, like, you're not you when you're hungry. He's Caleb Swanigan when he's hungry or something like that. What do you think, what do you make of those Caleb Swanigan comparisons, though? Because a lot of people are kind of making those based on he wears the same number. He has a yeah, similar kind of weight loss story, I guess. I think that making any credible comparisons to Caleb Swanigan, you have to limit it to just basketball. You have to limit it to his body. You have to limit it to his passing, his rebounding, stuff like that, because what Caleb Swanigan was off the floor was an absolute force of nature. I have never seen anybody work as hard. I've never seen anybody as driven to be great, to get themselves where they want to go as I did Caleb Swanigan, until Rondell Moore came along. And then he's in that conversation. But even then, Caleb Swanigan was an entirely different category of of player for that reason. He was just so unbelievably motivated, so unbelievably driven, so unbelievably focused that I think making that comparison with Travion Williams is really, really uh, a tough one to make. Right. Right, and that's a fair point uh, for sure. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this specific game against Rutgers. And one thing that stuck out to me is just the balance that they had. And I think a lot of that is coming from the bench. Um, you know, guys like Sasha Stefanovic scored 14 points tonight. Um, Travion Williams technically off the bench scored 16. Aaron Wheeler had 9. In what ways are you seeing um, Purdue, Purdue's bench come along? And in what ways are you seeing Purdue evolve offensively because of that? Yeah, well, I think when you look at this game, 
and you just look at the here's how many guys they had scored this many points, sometimes you have to take into account the fact this was a blowout and right. some guys pad their numbers in the second half. But that didn't happen. You know, Sasha Stefanovic's impact was made more in the first half, obviously, because he had eight really big points for them. I think from a balanced perspective, I think Trayvon Williams has given them an a foundational type offensive option, a, a really productive scorer, a destination type player offensively. He's producing like crazy, and he's giving Purdue the luxury to to start or to have basically two starting centers because because Matt Harms is in that category right. too. And Matt Harms isn't one of the guys who got not at least nine points in this game right. uh, too. But I think that obviously Sasha Stefanovic had his best game of the season. That certainly adds to your depth. You're starting to see Nogel Eastern be a little more productive in an opportunistic sort of role. He is not a scorer per se, but what Purdue needs from him is rebounding, offensive rebounding, scoring at the rim, and garbage points, that sort of stuff. You're starting to see him get more and more of that stuff. Um, you know, Ryan Klein's really shooting the basketball really well. He's sort of a known commodity, but he's he's been very consistent since – the resumption of Big Ten play. It just seems like Purdue's got a lot of stuff coming together for it right now. Right. At both ends of the floor. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I think Trayvon Williams has a lot to do with that because I think he's given them an offensive balance they didn't have before. And you can't tell me that when Carson Edwards dominates a game as a facilitator in this game, when Purdue makes 50% of its threes on high volume today, that doesn't have something to do in at least some small way with having that interior presence now didn't have it before your primary post-up option was your point guard mm-hmm. before uh, you were getting the ball to Matt Harms a little bit on the interior not on high volume not as a, a primary option but now you have that guy you're going into often and it, it's really paying off and putting defenses in in tough spots mm-hmm. uh, you, you started to mention, Car- mention Carson as a facilitator tonight he had uh Six assists, which was one away from his career high or uh, season high. He had seven against Virginia Tech earlier this year. Um, what does that mean for Purdue when he's playing the facilitator role? Because that's been an area that I think, um, you know, obviously his points are way up. He was a midseason All-American. You could say all kinds of great things about him. But that's one area where I think he's regressed a little bit from last year. Uh, last year, he, he went from his freshman year, he was about – Two, two turnovers to every assist. Last year he was about one-to-one, made significant strides in that area. Now he's he's turning the ball over way more than he, he did last year yeah. and not nearly producing the assists that he did. So what does it mean when he is more in that facilitator type of role, getting other guys involved? Well, I think his turnovers were bound to go up this year just with usage. I mean, he has so much more responsibility with this team than he did last year. Um, but when he is he's setting up other people the way he was tonight – it just looks like a player who's more comfortable with his team than he was really near, more comfortable with his role. However he wants to define that role, and I'm sure if we asked him, he wouldn't give us the most <laughs> extensive answer. But I think that, you know, Matt Painter talked earlier in the season about maybe him giving Carson Edwards more responsibility than he was ready for. You can construe that a lot of different ways, but it feels like Carson Edwards is playing like a more unburdened player. It feels like he's more comfortable in his surroundings, more comfortable in his role, more comfortable with his teammates and trusting his teammates more. And that is probably part of the process this team was always going to have to undergo because everything was so new, everything, you know, in in large part, everybody's so young. I mean, Mm -hmm. Purdue basically had Carson Edwards back and otherwise they were starting from scratch in a lot of ways uh, because even the guys coming back were in very different roles. And, uh, you know, there was always going to be an acclimation period 
And it seems to me like, based on the result tonight, based on the overtime at Wisconsin, Purdue's got a lot coming together for it right now. And I think a lot of that has to do with Carson Edwards. Mm-hmm. And you can add on to that also, you know, beating a ranked opponent in Iowa here at Mackey Arena. Um, you know, mentioning those those couple wins that Purdue has strung together, uh, do you feel differently about Purdue's NCAA resume than you did maybe two weeks ago? You know, we, we had talked before, really the only resume-building win that Purdue had was the home victory over Maryland, and that victory still looks pretty good because Maryland uh, is one of the teams contending right now in the Big Ten, I think probably one of the top four teams in the Big Ten for sure. Uh, now they've, like you mentioned, they've got a, a, their first road win. Are you starting to look at the NCAA resume differently, or do you think they still have work to do there? Well, I, th- I think they obviously still have work to do, but I feel a lot better about it from Purdue's perspective than I did last week because last week at this time Purdue had shown us nothing to lead us to believe they could go on the road and win a big game and while Wisconsin might not be a top 10 team by any means that's still a damn good win with that being said you know that game could have gone sideways on them too Uh, so it's not like they won that game emphatically but the fact Purdue has one of those wins now the fact that their strength of schedule is obviously going to carry a lot of weight in this um, and just the simple eyeball test where you, you look at a team that again has seems to have some things coming together for it right now and I know I'm saying that after they beat Rutgers who is still the and is probably for a long time going to be the doormat of the league um, it does paint a much more favorable picture now than it, it did a week ago you had to be able to win road games because simply because, A, you need quality wins on the road these days, but also simply to get to the win total you need to get, you can't do it just by winning home games. And the simple fact they won that Wisconsin game, albeit by the slimmest of margins, really kind of changes you know, the outlook for them, I think. No, I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, and that's going to be one of those, you know, the NCAA selection committee always goes with, now they have the quadrant system, quad one wins, quad two, quad three. And that's a win that definitely is going to stay a, a quad one win because the criteria there is one through 30 at home, one through 50 on a neutral court, and one through 75 on the road. And I, I think that there's, you know, Wisconsin's definitely going to stay right. within the top 75 there. So that's, a, that's definitely a good resume building win. How about just as we look ahead just a little bit to Saturday's matchup against IU, it's obviously a big game every year, and it's going to be cool that they get to play twice this season and every season going forward now. Um, Specifically, my question is about Romeo Langford. I mean, obviously, there's all this buzz around him, and he's lived up to a lot of the hype, I believe. What do you expect the Boilermakers to do with him? Do you think that they could do something like put no gel eastern on him or do you think that they keep no gel on the point guard as they have done uh or how do you imagine that that kind of matchup shaking out there i think it's really important for purdue to have no gel eastern on the guy who 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 initiates the offense because part of what purdue's always wanted to do philosophically with its point guard is disrupt the other team's offensive initiator that doesn't necessarily mean your point guard but whoever is bringing you into your offense if if Purdue can set him back if he can get him out of rhythm if he can make him have to work to get the ball up the floor uh, Purdue has felt like there could be advantages there now Nogel Eastern is head and shoulders your best defender clearly but he's also a guy who probably can be or can certainly be good guarding off the ball, but I think his strengths defensively are guarding on the ball. And I just think that 
you're more likely to leave him on the point guard than than not. I I, I do think then that probably puts the puts the onus on Carson Edwards or Ryan Klein, whoever's going to draw Romeo Langford, yeah. to really really elevate their game defensively um, on Saturday. I might be completely wrong. They might put Carson Edwards on the point guard. They might put Nojel Eastern on Romeo Langford. I don't know. Obviously, Romeo Langford is a big-time, big-time defensive assignment for everybody who plays him, Purdue included. Purdue's got to worry about Juwan Morgan, too, though. Right. Um, but I, I don't know what Purdue's going to do in the backcourt. I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah. Uh, me as a terrible basketball coach uh, who my, my average stat line was 5,000 points, I would put no gel on Romeo Langford. But I, I understand what you're saying, and I obviously – respect coach painter's opinions more than my own because i'm kind of an idiot but uh the other question i have for you is uh rob, uh, rob Finnessy. uh you covered his recruiting obviously uh he's an interesting story i think because obviously he grew up in this area here we saw george Karloftis decided he did want the whole hype of being the hometown right. guy uh what did you see from Finnessy, and what do you think it'll be like for him what kind of reception do you think he'll receive here in mackey arena I don't. Th- I don't think that there's any reason for for Purdue fans to not receive him politely. I mean, I, I he didn't want to come to Purdue. I mean, that's. I don't understand why people boo players who didn't want to come to their school. It's their life, you know. And I, you're right. I I did cover Robert Finnessy's recruiting. I never got the sense he was ever all that interested in staying home and. As somebody who left home to go 700 miles away to, to school, I, that's that's that is his prerogative. I mean, that's right. that's he's he's not alone in wanting to leave home. Um, if that was the driving force in his decision, that was always my impression. I think there were some indications up front very early on that this wasn't going to be an easy one for Purdue. Um, I think ultimately. Purdue's best chance would have been for other people to cool on him. Obviously, Indiana, Tom Crean offered him. Archie Miller got the job. Archie Miller spent the summer recruiting Darius Garland. They needed a point guard, so kind of bird in hand. I think he, ever since Tom Crean offered him first, I think he was, you know, he, he was pretty high on Indiana, and then it was simply a matter of whether Archie Miller wanted to follow up on Tom Crean's offer. I think that's kind of what it came down to, but obviously he's turned into a valuable contributor for them i think he's going to be a good player there and you know good for him mm-hmm. i'm with you i mean i uh i grew up in pennsylvania as people who listen to this podcast know from me uh complaining constantly about the pittsburgh steelers but that that was my whole thing like i didn't even consider schools in pennsylvania because i was like i want to go far right. enough away that mom and dad aren't going to come unexpectedly and and want to chill in my dorm room and and stuff like that or whatever you know I wanted to start my own life and be my own person and I can completely respect uh you know Finnessy's decision to do something like that but I think he's become a nice player for IU and it's interesting to me because I think in some ways Purdue could use a guy like that like a a point guard because uh right you know Eric Hunter I think is more of a combo guard and probably eventually more of a two than a true point guard so I think that's exactly what Purdue needs but it's just a situation where if a guy doesn't want to come here you kind of have to respect that decision yeah this was kind of a complicated recruiting class for Purdue too because they really wanted a point guard and they had Jalen Llewellyn damn near committed he was all but committed and uh some stuff happened in the summer where you know he didn't play great in an AU tournament and I think that changed the way he sort of here his family sort of viewed him and he ended up committing to the Ivy League. Now, obviously, 
don't blame anybody for going to the Ivy League. That that's pretty cool. Nerds, kids nowadays are doing that. But what was funny about that was he was a computer science guy, uh-huh. and that's like one of the areas Purdue can say we're right there with the Ivy League. Right. You know, so that was just kind of an you know an unfortunate unfortunate break for Purdue. But um, they really would like to have had a point guard in this class, whether it was Llewellyn or Finnessy, and obviously didn't get either one so but they, they seem to be making the best of it now this team's coming together a little bit and that that need doesn't seem as acute now as it did a couple weeks ago right right yeah this team definitely seems like it's playing a little better as the season goes on right. i definitely feel differently about this team than i did even a week ago at this point uh well brian always a pleasure thank you so much for the time and uh, i'm sure we'll talk to you soon your favorite recurring guest huh very favorite recurring guest i said i bet you say that to all the recurring guests no no <laughs> You are the favorite, and uh, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. No problem. My thanks once again to Brian Newbert for being on the show. Since it was my last episode, I was considering just having him on and asking him to say a lot of good things about me, but luckily I talked to some Purdue basketball instead, so hope you enjoyed that one. All right, let's move on now and move to our centerpiece, and this is going to be Sasha Stefanovich. Sasha uh, came to Purdue basketball program last year and redshirted, uh, and this year he stepped in and done a nice job in his first true season uh, where he's been able to play. He's coming off of a career-high 14-point performance uh, against Rutgers, uh, so he's starting to show his shooting ability, which is a big reason why Purdue recruited him, but he prides himself a lot on being more than just a shooter. He doesn't want to pigeonhole himself as just that. And I think we've seen a lot of that with Sasha so far this season. We've seen some gritty, grimy type of plays. He had a nice steal against Rutgers that he went and laid the basketball in, even though I thought he was going to go full Michael Jordan and Space Jam and extend his arms and go for the dunk in that one. But uh, I think he's turned into a, a pretty complete player. And he's got a cool, interesting backstory as well with his Serbian roots. So uh, I think you guys will like this interview. I hope you do. Let's kick it to that next segment right now with Sasha Stefanovic. All right, we now welcome onto the show a very special guest. This is Sasha Stefanovic, redshirt freshman guard for the Boilermakers. Sasha, thanks so much for the time, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate you having me on. So uh, you redshirted last year. Um, as you were sitting on the bench there, I know you were probably eager to get out on the basketball court and start playing, but how eager were you to get on the podcast knowing that you had to kind of wait the redshirt year before you could come on the podcast? That's true. I've uh, seen a lot of, uh, a lot of other uh, teammates come on here, so I'm uh, glad to finally come on. Yeah. <laughs> Quite an honor. But Okay, so let's start out. Uh, your name's Sasha. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year when I had PJ on, he said that that's actually a nickname. Yeah. Is that correct? Can you yeah. tell us behind that? Yeah, so uh, my actual name is Alexander. Um, so I was, I've never been called that though, ever since I was, I can remember, I've always been uh, going by Sasha. Only person that's ever, ever called me by my real name is my first grade teacher, who was also Serbian. So mm. she, uh, she made it a point to, for me to uh, make sure I like learned how to write my name and stuff <laughs> like that. So um, other than that, I've always gone by Sasha, just kind of a nickname that people with the name Alexander uh, and your Serbian kind of go by. So Right. Okay, so that was a big topic that I wanted to talk to you about why I had you on was just your Serbian roots. And so it starts with your name, but it goes well beyond that as well. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us just about you know, your family and the Serbian heritage and what it means to you? Yeah, it's huge. Um, it's, it's a big part, about, uh, big part of who I am, um, not just the Serbian culture, Macedonia, as well as my mom is Macedonian. So okay. uh, those cultures are very similar, but um, it allows me to have pride of you know, where my family comes from and... Um, you know, just kind of the heritage and uh, traditions that 
we have instilled in our family values. Mm-hmm. So. And so where did it start then? So your grandfather came over from Serbia, is that correct? Yeah, my grandparents came over um, with my dad and my aunt um, when they were both pretty young. Um, just kind of came over not knowing what to do or anything like that. They uh, just came over looking for work and everything like that and, um, you know, found themselves a home in Gary, Indiana. And then from there just kind of... Uh, stuck with it and worked. Uh, my grandfather worked in steel mills and uh, was a janitor at Maryville High School for a number of years. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where it all started. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of times these blue-collar jobs, people who have them take great pride in them because they feel like they're working hard, but they're doing it for their families. Is that the way your grandfather was? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could see it um, not only with my grandparents, with my father and my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, uh I've said this before, but just the sacrifices that they have made within their lives, they don't, they didn't do it for themselves. They do it for me and my brother, my cousins and everybody that, uh, is going to be in the future generations of our family. Um, so just being able to see the sacrifices that they make for themselves, um, kind of makes me and my brother, my cousins will just work that much harder to kind of prove to them that it was all worth it. So, Mm -hmm. so what would be, uh, you know, I'm Italian, so obviously we think mm-hmm. things in in terms of food, of, mm-hmm. of course. So, yeah. so what would be like your classic Serbian dish? Are there some kinds of foods that kind of relate to to yeah. Serbia? Um, I mean, there's chavops, which is a huge one that uh, people love to eat. It's like a meat, uh, uh, different types of meats together, and um, that probably personally is my favorite. Okay. Um, sarma, which is uh, cabbage. Uh, that's stuffed with meat and rice. My grandma makes that a lot. So different types of soups and stuff like that. So um, those two are huge, at least in my (laughs) household. So I love them both. I love them, man. Okay, so then how about as we, you know, you start with your grandparents. Now let's talk a little bit about your father, Mm -hmm. uh, Lou, right? And uh, so he was a great basketball player as well. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, played at Illinois State. Uh, from 81 to 85 and then was drafted by the Seattle Supersonics in 85 played overseas for a number of years six years I believe so um, but his his story is very interesting too because he never was you know playing basketball from when he was little or anything like that he just kind of picked it up when he was a freshman in high school on a dare from a friend to try out on the high school team so um, it's kind of funny yeah it's kind of <laughs> funny how it worked out but um, he just found, he grew to be six eight, and then kind of all fell into place, and uh, you know made a career out of basketball. Mm-hmm. Where's that friend now? That friend does, gets like deserves yeah. a little kickback Absolutely. or something like that for kickstarting this all. Let the beak a little bit. I, That's I'm what with I'm you. saying. Yeah, I'm with you. Right. Not a bad idea. So uh, then, growing up, you know, having a father that was so talented in basketball, how did that help your experience? I mean, it, it's huge. Um, just it comes from work again. I mean. Him not being able to play it when he was younger and just pick it up like that, he had to have a tremendous work ethic to be able to get to be the player that he was. So, um, you know, I love watching his old games and stuff like that. He always makes me watch them really? in the living room. But uh, <laughs> did but he yeah. have some game? Did yeah, a little bit. I always joke around with him, but like back in the '80s, he was just shooting ten foot jump shots. I mean, that's right. all he was doing. But, but no, it's really cool to see. Um, you know the work he put in kind of paid off. So uh, him being able to help me in the gym and with my shot and uh, just little things that he could see and critique my game, I, it really helps. After every single game here, 
you know, I go to talk to him and he tells me what I did, you know, mm-hmm. what he liked, what maybe I could have worked on in that game or something like that. So uh, it's it's huge. That's cool. No. Was he the one that you have kind of a unique shot just in terms of it's I think it's a very clean shot, very simple <laughs> release and quick release. Is he the one that taught you that or where that where'd you develop that? Yeah, I mean, he was a huge part of a, a part of it. Um, you know, ever since I was a little third, I've basically been playing organized basketball since first grade. So, uh, just kind of developing my, my shot through getting stronger and mm-hmm. uh, mechanics and stuff like that um, was something that he was really, really huge part of, um, and kind of helped me mold that shot. Mm-hmm. How about so then this this summer, uh, this off season, you had an opportunity to connect with your Serbian roots and do a little mm-hmm. play a little basketball in Serbia is that right yeah yep. what can you tell us about that experience what was that like for you oh uh, it was it was huge uh it was a it was a tremendous opportunity not being able to play for that year in the red shirt it's kind of you just want to get out there and play a little bit so I think it was a huge opportunity uh to go and play against you know those kids are professionals so um play against kids that you know have been in professional leagues for a couple of years already it was it was a uh, it was a big step, and I'm glad I did it. Um, and that U20 team is really talented. They have a lot of good kids on there. So uh, it was kind of unique to get their perspective on basketball and how they do things and um, take it away from them. So, how How's the Serbian game or the international game different than here? Did you notice differences? Yeah, it's a little bit different in terms of they're not as – they don't – show as much athleticism in certain areas so the way that they're able to adapt to those uh, I guess deficiencies in their game mm-hmm. is something that I could take from um, defensively the, you know how they guard certain actions how they uh, guard ball screens or something like that I think was uh, kind of interesting to see the different uh, perspective on it um, so mm-hmm. is that something you hope to continue to do then Play, you know, playing for the Serbian team, do you think you'll have more opportunities going forward? Yeah, I mean, if uh, you know, if I'm ever able to do that again, that'd be a tremendous opportunity that uh, I'd love to explore. So that's cool. Yeah. So you guys have a lot of, um, you know, obviously you grew up in the United States, but you have a lot of international influence with guys like Matt Harms. Yeah. You know, what's it like in the in the locker room when you have guys from? You know, one guy from Texas, one guy from ne- yeah. the Netherlands. You know, guys from really all over. Yeah, it's it's actually that's actually pretty interesting because we are, there's so many just different uh, cultures that we grab from within our locker room. So it's one I mean, guy. Mingo too. Yeah, exactly. Um, you just have different perspectives on things. Like people may like a certain food or something like that, or like a uh, music or anything like that. It's kind of cool. Uh, to see and uh, the differences and kind of where we grew up and all that. So, like, Matt would have a totally different perspective on <laughs> something than No Gel or something. You know what I'm saying? It's just different. Right. So it's kind of cool that we have these personalities that kind of mix together. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like a melting pot to a degree yeah, exactly. in that locker room. Yeah. Well, but there's a big game coming up this weekend, obviously, against mm-hmm. IU. Yep. Uh, being an in-state guy, what does that <laughs> rivalry mean to you? Uh, it's huge. I mean, um, being able to see uh, previous games of just – you know, battles uh, between us two. Uh, it's pretty cool, and not to be a part of that rivalry is it's awesome. So uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and I can't wait. Mm-hmm. Dude, uh, do you remember going to any Purdue IU games in the past, like when you were a kid or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, personally, I never I never went to one, but I, every single time I was on TV, I'd always watch it, stuff like that. So, um, like I said, it's it's awesome to now finally be, you know, a part of it. Mm-hmm. We have any friends on the other side of it? Uh, I mean, Romeo... Uh, I played AAU with him, so um, 
kind of seeing the the explosion that he's had within within the national scale is pretty awesome yeah, to see. Real. And uh, you know, I, I'm really excited to play against him because I haven't been able to you know see him or play with him or against him in a couple of years now. So it's it's kind of cool to see him again. Mm-hmm. How about uh, one thing I want to ask you about too is. Um, you and Aaron Wheeler were the two that redshirted last year. What and it seemed like you guys were, you know, with each other before in pregame shootarounds and stuff mm-hmm. like that, sitting next to each other on the bench. Yeah. What did you learn about him during that year? Um, well, one from a basketball perspective, that he just, I mean, his work ethic that he's been able to put in is kind of it's showing off in these games and um, kind of the love that he has for the game. Um, you know, he he gives a hundred ten percent every single time he goes on the floor. So. Uh, it's really cool to see the growth that he had from one, when he first got here to all these workouts that we did to now it's, you know, in Big Ten play, he's playing awesome right now. So, And then off the floor, just how much of a goofball he is really? and how funny he is. But I heard they call him Snoop. Yeah. Yeah, true? I'm not really sure who gave him the nickname, but... <laughs> but he, he does look like Snoop Dogg. Look up pictures of him of Snoop Dogg when he was younger, and they are twins. It's crazy. So <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, uh, let me ask you a couple questions just about the season in mm-hmm. general. Yep. You know, you guys have played what I think is the toughest schedule yeah. uh, in the country. Um, obviously, you probably would like a couple more wins than you have, but just how do you feel like you, you this team grew through some of those experiences early on? Yeah, I think uh, I think we're starting to figure out how to close out games a little bit better. Um, I think getting more experience within these tough games is something that's just it won't hurt us. It's 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 bound to help us. So um, I think a lot of those early struggles will help us later on in Big Ten play. I think it's it's shown off so, so far. Um, but yeah, a lot of those games were tough, but I think we're able to grow from it and kind of learn. How much, how much is growing and learning important for this team in particular? Because you guys have, I think, six freshmen, if you include the redshirt guys and some of the walk-ons. I mean, you lost four seniors. It seems like a completely different, not only season, but like an era of Purdue basketball yeah. right now. So how important is development and things of that nature? Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think just being able to get more, like I said, get more experience and get more time on the floor. Um, I mean, the more reps you get, the the better you're bound to be. So mm-hmm. um, I think being it, it's huge to just kind of gain more experience with each game and um, kind of just get out there because we really haven't been able to. So uh, I think it's huge. Cool. Well, let me ask you a couple. Uh, I know you have to go. you got to go to practice pretty yeah. soon. But let me ask you a couple rapid-fire questions, and then I'll let you go. Gotcha. Uh, first one's a tough one. Um, who on your team would make the best Purdue Pete? Oh, that's a good one. Thank you. Um... I mean, I think it has to be Matt. I mean, he's obviously huge. It'll be a little different looking Purdue Pete, but I mean, he's just—he's got the fist pumps and all. I mean, I think he would be a good. I one. think he'd be a good one. Yeah, he's, he's got the energy. Yeah, he's for got sure. The personality. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. Okay, what about? Uh, have you ever been to Triple X, the diner here? Uh, yep. Okay, so they've got meals named after guys. There's the Drew Brees special. There's like the Ryan Kerrigan special. Yeah. David Badaya's got a meal named after him. You've got a great career here. They come to you and they say, "We want to name a meal after mm-hmm. you." Uh, what's it going to be called, and then what it, what will it be? Ooh. Um, I'm not sure on the name, but I'm a big breakfast guy. I love their breakfast. So I would love some type of breakfast sandwich or something like okay. that. What's going to be on it? Um, you got to go eggs. You got to go cheese. See, then you could get creative with it. Either go ham. I'm a big ham on my sandwich guy, or bacon. Um, go ahead and get both of them. Yeah, you I don't. You should put one more meat on it. Could be like Sasha's triple threat. I don't. Right? I don't mind. That's a good one. Put one more 
That's I'm an idea guy. Yeah, I like you that. Need any. But you got to go English muffin. Okay. I'm a big low carb. Yeah, got to put an English muffin on it. Yeah. Okay, I like that idea. Nope. Okay, uh, how about um, obviously Carson's nickname is Sea Boogie, mm-hmm. and so that you know, would you would think that maybe he's the best dancer because of that? But is he? Who is the best dancer on the team? Ooh, that's a good one too. Um, either <laughs> there, I don't know him. Ah, uh, Trey. Trey Trey's got some moves. Does he? People, people sleep on Trey's moves. Yeah, Trey, Gel. I don't know. And 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 Travion's uh, leaned out a little bit so he yeah. can move a little bit he's more. Got, yeah. He's got a little more he's wiggle in there. He's got great right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. What about uh, who who's the biggest trash talker? What well, either in practice or in the games? Um, you know we don't really have a lot. Oh, I think on. I th- I'm serious. We really don't talk a lot of trash. But I would say, Boog gets it a lot. So Boog probably dishes it out back. Um, I would probably say him, I guess, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's the second person that said that. Yeah. So, And that doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. He's got the famous, uh, yeah. I'm not playing yeah, in exactly. the throat slash last year versus IU. Maybe yeah. we'll see that come out again. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what about, do you have any hidden talents? Do you play the kazoo mm-hmm. or are you uh, walk dogs on the side or something, train animals? or? Uh, you know, I'm very basic. I don't have a lot. I'm pretty terrible at video games. I'm pretty, like... Just watch TV a lot. Um, I really don't, to be honest. I'm kind of boring, I guess. Really? Yeah. I don't know if I have any. What about uh, so uh, Evan Boudreaux? Uh-huh. He's the Ivy League guy. Yep. Who on your team would be most likely to ask him for homework help? Or actually just ask him to do their homework for him? Uh, I would have to say definitely Jell. Jell is <laughs> Jell probably just like, hey, come on, man. You got it. So. Probably Joe, I would say. Okay, yeah. and uh, final question for you. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of, like, I'm 28 years old and mm-hmm. I can't grow any facial hair. Mm-hmm. And some of you guys have good facial hair. Some of you guys have really terrible facial yeah. hair, questionable. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who has the worst facial hair on the entire team? Oh, that's good. Um, you know, mine's not the best. Mine's pretty rough. Yours is okay. It's Yours getting is better. It's getting better. Um, Tommy's is getting a lot better, too. <laughs> It was, That's a polite way it to was, say it. Yeah, it was, it was pretty rough. Um, I guess because he's the only we. There are not a lot of guys that grow it. I'm gonna say Tommy's the worst. He's gonna be mad at that, but but Tommy's Tommy will. Well, Klein's was like horrendous <laughs> for for like three seasons he's and then now it actually out. now yeah. he looks good yeah, so me. that's a good thing also about red shirt and it gives yeah. you another year to kind of develop and be able to grow at least a exactly. halfway decent beard yeah, so exactly that's crucial yep. all right man well i know you've been looking forward to this for a long yeah. time so thank you so much for being on and best yep. luck to you the rest of the year thank you man appreciate it my thanks once again to sasha for being on the show uh we actually recorded that podcast segment on Monday, and then he went on to have the career high 14 points on Tuesday. I don't think that those things are an accident. I think I maybe a little of my good mojo rubbed off on him. We'll have to see if that carries over to the game against IU on Saturday. All right, now that we have things handled from a Purdue perspective, let's look at how things are going down in Bloomington. And to do so, we're going to welcome on Stu Jackson, who covers IU for the Hoosier.com. Uh, IU was rolling along for a while, uh, but recently they've lost three in a row, which I'm sure is going to break every Purdue fan's heart. Uh, right now they're sitting at 12-5 and five overall, uh, but they do have some potential. I think if, um, obviously, if Romeo Langford gets hot, he's a threat to 
beat any team almost by himself. And then Juwan Morgan has been a handful for pretty much every Big Ten team over the past two seasons. So he'll be an interesting matchup, especially against a guy like Travion Williams and Matt Harms. We'll have to see if Evan Boudreaux, who is recovering from a groin injury, is healthy enough to play in this one. But um, let's kick it over to that interview with Stu Jackson and get the full scouting report on the Hoosiers. All right, we now welcome onto the show Stu Jackson, who covers Indiana University for the Hoosier.com, which is a Rivals affiliate. Stu, thanks so much for joining the show. I uh, appreciate you joining us. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you for having me. All right, well, uh, first question for you. You know, IU, they were ranked earlier this season. They had, you know, strung together a nice winning streak, but they've lost three in a row. Uh, where is this team at right now after that three-game winning st- or losing streak? Um, it's a, it's definitely a difficult spot for them right now. Um, the, the most recent game, the, you know, home loss to Nebraska Monday night was, you know, a pretty bad loss, you know, by and large, you know, whoever you, you know, no matter who you talk to and, and, you know, the press corps, you know, that covers Indiana. I mean, it was, that was very much, uh, you know, a winnable game, you know, much like, you know, most people thought, I think, for the road game at Maryland, and um, you know, those games just you know kind of went the opposite direction of what everybody expected. And so, um, it's it's a team that you know is you know outside of Romeo Langford and Jawan Morgan, and you know this isn't just you know my opinion or just my words. I mean, Archie Miller even said after I used lost to Nebraska that you know some guys are uh, you know basically having confidence issues as far as you know playing well offensively or having, you know, the self-assurance that they can contribute offensively and shoot the ball. You know, guys obviously not named Romeo Langford and Juwan Morgan. Those guys have had no trouble scoring or, you know, providing for the team offensively. So um, I don't want to say that, you know, this is a, a crisis or, or anything like that, but I think it's certainly a team that is in disarray and, and you know, kind of searching for answers right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that game against Nebraska it was sixty-six to fifty-one, so it was IU's lowest scoring output of the entire season. Can you put your finger on what those issues were? Why why did IU have such a difficult time scoring in that game? Uh, well, the main thing, at least from from what I saw, was that uh, Nebraska used a one-three-one zone against Indiana, and it was very effective. And excuse me, for whatever reason, um, they just could not you know, figure out how to attack it effectively, which, you know, to, to beat that, I mean, it requires, you know, at least from what I understand, you know, just attacking, attacking it, you know, and attacking the open spaces and just trying to get to the rim, you know, in order to kind of break down the structure of it. And, um, you know, Indiana just wasn't having a ton of success doing that. And then when you factor in that, you know, this is a team that isn't incredibly reliant or adept at shooting, three-pointers, or at least that's not their identity. It hasn't been their identity to this point in the season. It makes it extremely difficult to, uh, you know, rally in a game like that or, or make any sort of dent in a deficit. So, um, you know, really it was that and just the fact that, you know, turnovers were kind of an, were an issue again, and um, it was just very unorganized. They had another slow start, too. I mean, it was very quickly a, a 9-0 deficit or a you know for indiana or a 9-0 lead for nebraska and um you know those those slow starts have been a pretty consistent theme for indiana um really dating back to you know when when big 10 play began the early portion of big 10 play and 
in early December. So, um, you know, what, what the fix for that is, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to say at this point, but, um, you know, basically it's just, it was a combination of not only starting the game slow, like they have for the last several weeks, but also just, you know, not being able to beat the one, three, one zone that, uh, it was, you know, being thrown at by, uh, Nebraska. Well, it's kind of comical. It, every time Matt Painter has his radio show, somebody will call in and ask him when he's going to play some zone. So I'm sure that that's now going to stir up that conversation a little bit more. But knowing Matt Painter, he's a man defense type type of guy. I'm sure he'll probably stick to his guns and go with the man defense. Um, as we look ahead, I mean, uh, obviously Romeo Langford is one of the biggest names not only in this state, but in really college basketball coming into the season, how has he met those expectations or lived up to those big expectations so far this season? Well, he's, uh, he's, he's handled them very well. Um, that's obviously a ton of responsibility to, there's obviously a ton of responsibility for someone of his stature, you know, an 18 year old kid who's an Indiana Mr. Basketball playing for an in-state school. Um, you know, that's going to be, you know, a lot on, on anyone's plate. And so he's, he's handled it, you know, I think very well. He's, you know, at least heading into the Nebraska game, and I think this might still uh, be the case. But he, you know, he, he for most of the season, he's been Indiana's leading scorer, even for as well as, you know, Jawan Morgan has played thus far. Um, yeah, so he's still, still Indiana's leading scorer. He's averaging 18.8 per game. And I kind of caution people, you know, before he arrived on campus, I said, you know, it's, you know, it's fair to, you know, expect him to probably lead Indiana in scoring, but to suggest that, you know, or to expect him to replicate, you know, the 35 and a half or whatever it was, a game that he averaged at New Albany, like that's just, that's just not realistic. So um, I would say it's, it's gone about as well as it possibly can. The only thing that's maybe surprised people a little bit is the fact that he's had kind of a, you know, underwhelming you know, three-point shooting percentage thus far. He's only 23.8% from beyond the arc on the year, and so that's been sort of a shock. But other than that, I mean, he's just been, you know, really good at finishing at the rim and, and providing, and just generally providing uh, a much-needed option as far as, uh, you know, somebody who can create their own offense because really, really in the end, didn't have anybody like that outside of Juwan Morgan last year. Mm-hmm. So he's part of uh, what was a pretty nice recruiting class for Archie Miller and his first true recruiting class with a lot of in-state guys. How are some of those young guys meshing um, in particular, Rob Finnessy, who's a local guy here from the West Lafayette area? Yeah. Rob Finnessy actually, he, he pretty much took the, you know, the reins of the starting point guard job and, and, has, and has really run with it and made the most of that opportunity. Now he uh, collided with, uh, an opponent's knee in the Central Arkansas game, and that that caused him to miss some time. He uh, he actually returned at Maryland, and so um, you know this is you know he missed you know a few weeks there because of that. But um, you know he he's been you know a really a really smart point guard, just uh, a presence at point guard that you know, quite frankly Indiana hasn't really had since uh, Yogi Ferrell was. Uh, you know, running the show for IU. So he's done a really nice job in that regard. Um, and then when you look at the, you know, some of the other guys, uh, it's been, you know, sort of, a, you know, a mix, I, I would say. Uh, Jake Forrester, a freshman for, uh, forward from Pennsylvania, 
you know, he's a, he's somebody who has seen time occasionally, but he's only played in six of Indiana's 17 games to this point. Um, Demise Anderson, um, you know, another in-state guy from South Bend, Riley, uh, he's played, you know, in 10 of the 17 games. But again, the, you know, the minutes and the playing time have been kind of sporadic. And, you know, the, the guy that was, you know, all, as uh, very highly touted, I wouldn't say as highly touted as, as Romeo Langford, as far as just the, the recognition and, and the, you know, prominence and everything. But uh, Jerome Hunter from uh, Pickerington, Ohio, he was a kid who, you know, when he signed was a top 50 prospect, at least by, you know, our network's evaluations. And so, um, and would have been someone who would have, you know, contributed meaningful minutes to, uh, you know, Indiana's guard rotation. But he's been, you know, he, he had surgery for a, a lower leg condition. It's what Indiana described it as back in mid-November. And before the Nebraska game, he, he told um, IU's play-by-play voice, Don Fisher, that he, he'll be redshirting this year. So, um, you know, Langford and Finnessy have been really the, the two main impact guys in, in this, you know, in this, in this class. But otherwise, you know, when you kind of go beyond them, uh, it's just been sort of a, a mixed bag of results as far as what guys have been able to contribute, whether it's because of health, been because of health reasons, or just um, you know maybe not necessarily being ready to contribute right away just yet. Mm-hmm. So you started to touch on a couple of injuries. Uh, can you catch us up on those injuries? Because it sounds like they've been piling up and they've been a factor for uh, you. So what are some of them, and how much do you expect that to be an impact on Saturday? Yeah, so like I said, uh, you know, Fizzy was had, had missed a few games because of a of a concussion, but he's back now. And uh, but he's not. He's at least in the last two games, he hasn't started. He's, he's come off the bench. Part of that, at least when if you go back to the Maryland game, it was because you know Archie Miller said on uh, I think it was his pregame radio show that you know this is essentially his conditioning level is going to determine how many minutes he played and. Archie even said afterward he was kind of surprised that, you know, Tennessee was able to play 17 minutes at Maryland, you know, just because of where he thought he was, I guess, you know, during the week in terms of practicing and whatnot. But um, so that, you know, that injury while he's, you know, back and and, and playing more minutes, that's still, you know, impacting him because, you know, it's it's still impacting his availability as far as how many minutes he can play. and, you know, Jake Forrester, at one point, um, he had a, a boot around, uh, I believe it was, a, it was his right foot, um, just some sort of uh, un, unspecified injury. He's, uh, he's he's fine now. I mean, he participated in one before the Nebraska game. He just, you know, never saw the floor. So, um, you know, it, it just kind of, it's, it's just been kind of a, you know, a, a very strange situation. I mean, Deron Davis, he... You know, when when IU was playing, when IU hosted Illinois, he, he rolled his ankle, and that led to some lingering ankle soreness that has since affected his his availability in Indiana's games. You know that have, have you know been played at since then, and so um, you know those those are just a few. Um, again, it's been kind of a you know a strange situation, and even just recently, actually, you know, Al Durham in the first half appeared to. Um, have sustained some sort of uh, of uh, an ankle injury, maybe. Uh, nobody knows definitively. It was all Archie Miller said after the game was that, uh, you know, he, he had um, 
it was some sort of, of impact injury where he like you know collided you know with you know an opposing player's knee or leg or something like that or or, or was kicked or something like that so uh, I don't I don't know exactly you know what Al Durham's availability will be but he was the guy that um, you know kind of took who has really emerged and, and been a you know big part of IU's lineup as well just as somebody who IU needs as a you know consistent third sc- scorer and everything so I'm sure I'm forgetting some it's it's been uh, kind of crazy to keep track I know at one point um, you know there were when, when it was Forster and Davis were, were both hurt it was at Michigan actually that they had five scholarship players unavailable which was a season high so Jeez, um, that's not yeah yeah, yeah. So it's it's been it's it's just been bizarre. I mean, again, I haven't been you know covering this team for as long as some other members of this you know, of the other members of the beat. But um, you know, just from my experience between you know covering the team in a professional capacity and as a student, you know, I, it's it's unlike anything I've seen. Mm-hmm. How about uh, as we look from a more big picture perspective? So this is Archie Miller's second season at, at IU. How would you just describe the identity? You know, what what type of basketball does he want to play, and how close do you think IU is to achieving that in his second season? Yeah, so he still wants Indiana to be a, a, a defensive minded team, and uh, and so far, I, I mean, they're I think they're getting closer. Um, you know, it's just a matter of, I mean, the, the thing that's helping them this year is the fact that you know, even though half of the roster is is new faces. Um, the other half at least has that year of experience in his in his system, particularly with the pack line defense, where you know they they know what to expect, they know how how it operates, and you know if somebody's out of position or or out of place or they don't understand something, now you know the guys on the court can actually point it out and and you know help their teammates versus last year where everybody was just kind of learning on the fly and and it was pretty disorganized and that's what you know led the you know games like you know the Fort Wayne game and, and you know the Indiana State game and, and those sorts of things so um, they're, they're getting there I mean they're it's if you look at I don't know you know for those of you who check KenPom.com or subscribe to that website um, there's their top 40 team in defensive efficiency this year uh, they're number 33 so uh, there's definitely an improvement in that regard but um, you know, there's. I think it's still more, um, or there's still more progress that can be made. So, um, and and you know, offensively, it, it just kind of varies. Um, I think he tends to adapt based on the personnel he has, because um, he, you know, he's mentioned several times that he wants this to be a team that aspires to, you know, get to the basket, play through contact, draw fouls, things like that, and, and not shoot a ton of threes. And that's you know, partly because I think he recognized that, you know, there aren't a ton of three-point shooters on this team, as you can probably tell from looking at the stat sheet. So uh, that's just kind of where they're at right now. Um, so, again, you know, progress is being made, but, you know, they, they still have room for improvement, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, looking at some of the style components that you're talking about, uh, 31.2% of IU shots three point are three-pointers attempted for every field goal attempted. Uh, which is 329th, um, which well, you know ranks at the bottom. So that tells you that they're not shooting a lot of three-pointers, uh, and they're shooting just 35.3% from three. Uh, 
So kind of speaking to a, a couple of the points that you were mentioning. How about just, uh, you know, as we look ahead, Purdue and I, you're going to play two times this season. Um, but even beyond that, uh, you know, Archie Miller, I think, has done a nice job in recruiting, and he's done a nice job, I think, especially at establishing a footprint with in-state guys. How do you imagine, um, you know, IU continuing to rebuild its roster as the seasons continue? Because on one hand, they're bringing in a couple nice players, but they're also going to lose, I'm sure, Romeo Langford. So what's the future of IU, you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because um – you know, you, you look at Indiana's roster right now, and, and just and even statistically, um, you know, they've got, you know, Juwan Morgan is graduating. Uh, Romeo Langford has, is, you know, widely regarded as a, you know, a one and done type of prospect. So um, that's, you know, that right there is your top two scorers, and presumably the guy who's going to take Juwan Morgan's place in the starting lineup next year is Trace Jackson Davis, the, the five-star forward from uh, Center Grove High School in Greenwood. But then, you know, then it's a question of, okay, well, who replaces or, you know, tries to replace, I should say, or attempts to, you know, make up for the lost production if, if Romeo departs. And, you know, you'd maybe look at a guy like Jerome Hunter when he's healthy being, you know, filling that role. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing on everyone's minds, and it's sort of uh, a question that has come up a lot more often recently given, you know, the, the recent three-game losing streak because, you know, results like, you know, at least the readers on our side see results like this happening, and, you know, they're, and then they wonder, oh, well, you know, if this is how Indiana's playing, you know, with guys like Juwan and Romeo, what's going to happen when they're not here next year? So, uh, there is there is a little bit of uncertainty, I think, in that regard. But um, you know, there are guys who are, you know, I think, capable of filling those roles. It's just um, it'll be a very, I think, a, a different looking Indiana team next year. Mm-hmm. Well, Saturday should be a, an exciting game for sure. I'm sure it's going to be a, a great atmosphere. Uh, Stu, thanks so much for the time. Looking forward to seeing you at the game on Saturday. Absolutely, Mike. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to catching up. That does it for this week's edition of the Boiler Upload podcast. Thanks to all three of our guests for being on the show. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, this is actually the last Boiler Upload podcast. So thank you guys so much for tuning in each week and listening. I've had a ton of fun doing this. I think uh, it's been a great opportunity for me just to meet different players and tell their stories in a different way and have an opportunity for them to tell their stories. It's also given me an opportunity to expand my broadcasting uh, abilities or lack thereof. This was something that... I had never done anything like before. I was a print journalism major, of course, because I was terrible at talking and stringing together sentences uh, when I spoke. So, I mean, it's been a cool opportunity. Hopefully you guys have had fun listening to it. And um, hopefully you'll continue to follow my work up in Michigan. I'm going to be writing a lot of stuff that's Big Ten wide. And more than anything else, I'm going to be writing stories about people. So no matter if you're a Purdue fan, Michigan State fan, I think you'll like what I'm going to do at my new job. So thanks so much for tuning in. It's been a lot of fun. And hopefully you'll be following my work and giving me those hot takes even when I'm in Michigan. So thanks again to tuning in to the very final Boiler Upload podcast.